Hello, and welcome to Hope Church. We're a local church with chill style, real faith, and no perfect people allowed. Thanks for checking out our podcast. This is a message from our SoCal location in the Santa Cruz, California area. We hope this message is encouraging. If you live near either of our locations, we'd love to have you join us for one of our many Sunday services. Church family, welcome to our online service. Thanks so much for uh, taking some time out of your morning or afternoon, whenever you're watching, and carving out a little time to share with us. Um, if you've been following along, we're this is the second week in our series called In Person, where we're talking about relationships. And isn't it funny that we're we use this term in person now? Like that's a thing when a year ago we never even talked about that, you know, in person. Like that's where relationship happens is when we're together. But a lot of us have been apart from a lot of the people we're in a relationship with like all year long. And so um, so we wanted to just kind of focus in and talk about as we as we return to whatever comes next after this pandemic and the way we relate to each other, uh, what's that look like? And um, how can we possibly learn from where we've been and maybe even do better as we move into the next season? So last week, Danny kicked off the series and he talked about uh, he showed us, I think, from the teachings of Jesus and some of his early followers, um, how they raised the bar on how we relate to one another in our differences. So how many know it's it's real easy to relate to people that you have everything in common with? You know, I mean, my wife, Amy, and I, for example, we've been friends since we were kids. And I'll be honest with you, we, we have so much in common. Like We like all the same stuff. We like the same food, the same music you know, uh, the same, whatever we, we like it all. It's all like all. So it's easy. We have an easy relationship, but there's, we don't always have that in life. In fact, the reality is most people we have, we have differences and, and sometimes that's what makes life interesting, but it can make it challenging as well. And so he talked about raising the bar in terms of how we relate to one another in our differences. It's always been a priority to us here at hope. Uh, if you couldn't tell that we create in our community, a place where people with even very different beliefs and persuasions and preferences and styles can come together around some shared values and be unified in love. Now, if you hear that and it just sounds like, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, I knew that. um, I want to impress upon you that this is actually a fairly radical idea. And this comes from the scriptures, this idea that we have in love a common unifier that has more weight and importance than anything else that might divide us. So imagine an, like an old-fashioned scale, right? You've got two little platforms hanging from chains, right? And on, this, on one side, you're, you're stacking weights. And these weights are things that you are uh, differences, uh, even divisions you might have with, with another person. You're, you're stacking these differences, different uh, views on um, you know, politics or social issues or uh, religious matters or even matters of doctrine or just just style preferences, you know, and you're stacking those things up, right? And the, 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 the scale is starting to fall pretty heavily on the side of difference and division. But when we take Jesus and the love that he brings into our lives, that transformative love that changes us from the inside out, and we stack him on the other side, the scale always goes the other way. Because the weight of his love is so much more than any of these things that could separate us. So that's kind of where we were coming from last week. Today, though, I want to ratchet it up another notch, and I want to argue for an even more radical idea that builds off of what Danny was talking about. And here's the idea, okay? You ready? 
Are you, are you seat belted in wherever you are? Okay, here's the idea. That we can, by we I mean you and I, us, that we can and in fact should lay down our right to offend and be offended. I'm just going to let you think about that for just a second. This is a radical idea, you guys. This, this idea that we can, not only can we, but that we should. It would be better that we ought to lay down our right to offend and be offended. Now, what I want to encourage us to do right now is we're going to, we're going to look at the scriptures, okay? We're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And what I want to encourage us to do is to just let these ancient writings by these early followers of Jesus, these apostles, just lead us to where they naturally would lead us to go and, and not try to bring our own ideas to it. Instead, let's, let's just follow the scriptures and see what they say and the implications they have for our lives. Can we do that together? All right, here we go. So I want to just tell you, I'm going to read you just a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 1. And I just want to give you a little bit of uh, background before I do. So on the surface, this chapter, verse 8, uh, is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. There was a Christian community there in the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth was a metropolitan city. It was actually fairly large for ancient times. And there were lots of different people groups there. There was Greeks and Romans. There were Jews. Um, there were people from all over the world. It was kind of a melting pot, right? All kinds of different practices. And what had happened is that the message of Jesus had sprung up amongst a group of Jews in this city. Okay, so there were Jewish believers in Jesus. And then it had spread to other people. So there was Jewish believers, but there were also Greek believers and Roman believers in Jesus, all mixing together, right? And... <clears throat> This subject came up, an issue sprang up, a, a division in their community that Paul addresses. So we don't, we don't have this side of it, but it seems that someone had written to Paul to tell him, or maybe he had just heard it by word of mouth about this division, and Paul is writing back to tell them uh, about his thoughts about this division. And the division was about this. It was about food that had been sacrificed to idols. Now, this might sound strange to our modern ears. We don't keep idols. Like, you don't, likely you don't have an idol in your house, right? Um, uh, you know, outside of maybe like a Chinese restaurant or a Thai food restaurant where you go and you see a little Buddha there and a little bowl with some rice or incense. Outside of that, you just generally, we don't see idols in our day-to-day -day life. But in the church, in the uh, city of Corinth, this would have been very commonplace. There were public uh, displays, temples with idols. And here was the practice. This was actually very much cultural. It, it, it Again, it seems strange to our modern sensibility, but but culturally speaking, this was these were gathering places. So, for example, you had a temple to Athena here in Corinth. And uh, people with money, so affluent people, would gather there. And they would talk about things and they would socialize. And part of their gathering was they would leave offerings of food in the temple as a, as a, a sacrifice to Athena. And, and, you know, I don't know what they believed. Maybe they believed it would bring them good luck or maybe they just liked the kind of the cachet of being able to show off the fact that they had disposable income and they could leave food behind, whatever. It doesn't really matter. But the point is, is they would do this. Now, what we would call poor or lower income people or, or maybe low, um, like low to middle class people that were maybe more f um, food insecure. In other words, they woke up in the morning and they didn't know for sure what they were going to have for dinner, if anything. They were allowed to come in the, in the afternoon or the evening and take from this food and supplement uh, their, their income with it. Right? And it was a common practice. The Greeks did this all the time. But the Jews did not. 
They saw this practice as being totally forbidden by Old Testament scripture. So this is the dispute that Paul is writing this letter into, okay? So that, that gives us some background. So here we are. This is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. He says this, Now, about food sacrificed to idols, right? That's what we were just talking about. He says, We know that we all possess knowledge. Now, this part's in quotations, so he's, he's repeating back to himself, or repeating back something he heard uh, from the church in Corinth. We all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. If we strip away some of the uh, kind of cultural trappings of the situation, the, the idols and the food and all that stuff, I think we can start to see a bit of ourselves here. Deep divisions have formed in Christian communities all across the United States and in the world today. But Paul's words come down to us through the ages. You may think you know, but you do not know as much as you should know. Knowledge makes a person, an individual, feel secure in his uh, beliefs and his preferences, but, but it's love that genuinely builds bridges between people. So Paul then in verse 4 through uh, 8, he begins to go deeper into this uh, food offered to idols kind of thing and explain some stuff. We're going to jump to verse 9, though, where we pick up in verse 9. This is what he says. He says, be careful, however. Now he's talking to the people that have been eating some of this food. And they've been eating this food freely because they believe, you know what, uh, there's really no spiritual implication to it. And I think they're right, actually. They're, eating this food, it, it doesn't do anything. They're not worshipers of these idols. These are followers of Jesus. They're just partaking of food that would otherwise go to waste. There's nothing wrong with that. He's speaking to these people when he says this in verse 9. He says, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. I'm going to read that line again because I want you to really just feel the discomfort from hearing this line from an apostle, a follower of Jesus, as he tells us this, okay? Be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone was a weak, uh, with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating in an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to eat what is sacrificed to idols? In other words, won't it be confusing for a person that has less knowledge than you? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. In other words, in your strength, you're confusing this other individual, and in their weakness, they stumble because of your actions. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again. So he's embracing this kind of like, uh, he's enforcing this like self-veganism here. Um, uh, and the reason he's doing this is he's saying, I, I, I care so much about the weaker person in our community that I would even constrain myself and my own desires to benefit them. Now, there are two radical propositions here that I want to point out. And the first is a new kind of personal responsibility. We talk a lot about personal responsibility in Western culture. It's a, it's a value to us. We talk about it. But what do we really mean? This is, this is next level stuff, you guys. This is, here's what he's saying. The reason this is so radical is because for, for us, Western American thinkers like us, like you and I, we value our individualism, right? We value our individual rights, 
We value our individual freedoms. And this flies in the face of those values. And instead, it constructs a new reversed value system. What Paul is advocating here is a kind of web of collective responsibility where the strong contemplate, they think about their actions and their words in the context of the presence of people that might be weaker than themselves and how they might be affected by their actions. Now, for some people, this is, this is not difficult. I mean, there, there are some people that just, they're, they're just naturally humble people and they, they like to serve and they, you know, they just, they just want to help all the people around them. For most others, though, this is, this is pretty unnatural. This, is, this kind of behavior is pretty unnatural. We're surrounded by a culture that tells us to put ourselves first. You should take a me day. You should take time out for you. You should, you should follow your heart, is what culture says. You should take care of yourself first because you're amazing. You're awesome. Take care of yourself. But put yourself first. Think of yourself, right? That's what culture tells us. It's not what scripture says, though. Think about it like this. If I purchased just a delicious chicken chipotle sandwich from Surf City Sandwiches right up the street here, um, one of my favorites in, in Santa Cruz County, and then I walked down to the corner of Soquel and Wharf Road, and I sat down to eat that sandwich on the side of the road right in front of a man who's standing on the corner holding a sign, literally begging for change so that he can feed himself that evening. Am I within my rights to do that? to sit and eat that sandwich right in front of that man? Am I within my rights to do that? I mean, it's my money. I worked hard for the money. I bought the sandwich. It's my sandwich, right? It belongs to me. It's not my fault that maybe he made some decisions that have led him to that street corner with that sign in his hand. It's not my fault, right? Do I have a right to eat that sandwich? Yeah, sure. But does that make it right? We're not just talking about generosity here. We're talking about a new value system that puts our rights on hold in favor of the needs of those around us. Are you starting to feel a little bit of discomfort about this now? I hope so. I am. The second, I told you there was two radical notions in this passage. The second is this. The second radical notion is that to exercise your rights as an individual is actually of lesser value than to lay down your rights if someone might benefit from that sacrifice. So let's think about that for a second, because we, we place a high value in our society on the exercise of our rights. I'm standing up for our rights. You should stand up for yourself, we say. You should stand up for the right, your God-given right to fill in the blank. And Paul's saying it's of more value to lay down your rights in service to people that have less than you, that maybe haven't uh, had the same benefits in life that you have had, maybe haven't had the same privilege that you've had, have reached a different place in their life, and because of that, are less privileged and disenfranchised by society. When I was growing up, I remember my dad used to do this all the time. It just seemed really natural to me uh, when I became an adult and got my driver's license, but um, when we'd be driving, out driving somewhere, my dad would park far away from places. Like Instead of taking the first parking spot, he would park far away. And if you ask him about it, he'd say, well, I'm parking back here because if there's a, an, an old lady, for example, that's coming to the same store, she should have that spot up front. He just naturally puts people ahead of himself. And when I grew up, it just seemed natural to do the same thing. But of course, that's fairly easy. I mean, we, want, we all want to help uh, the sweet old lady, right? Um, giving up that right, our right to the, 
the best parking spot. That's, that's actually not that hard. But, but what about other rights? What about your right to be heard? What about your right to pursue happiness, your personal happiness? What about your right to free speech? You should be able to say whatever you want, right? It's a free country. Am I saying that freedom is a bad thing? No, I'm not. Of course not. What? Freedom is a good thing. Freedom is an amazing thing. And let's be clear. We live in the best time to be alive in the history of the human race by kind of a lot. Like, and we live in one of the best countries on the face of the planet by kind of a lot. It's amazing. It really is. And part of that thing that makes it so amazing is freedom. But when we take those freedoms that we have and claim them as personal rights, and then we place those rights on a platform, and we elevate them in value over the well-being of others, we've created an idol. As surely as the Greeks were worshiping in the temple of Athena, the goddess of fertility, we Americans, we worship at the temple of personal freedoms and personal rights when we exercise those freedoms to the detriment of others. Let me remind you of our, our, our radical proposition that we can, in fact, should lay down our right to offend and to be offended. So, so that's what we're talking about, laying down our right to offend. Now we're going we're gonna to talk about the second one, which is actually even more severe, all right? So, but before I move on, I just want to point out one thing. Some of you might be thinking this. I know I would be thinking this in your shoes. Now, wait a second. Didn't Jesus offend people? Sometimes, right? Didn't he do that? Well, yeah, he did. Let's, let's look at a, a verse where he did that. This is Matthew chapter 15, verse 10, where Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen and understand what goes into someone's mouth does not defile them. So he's talking about food and, you know, another food issue, right? What goes into someone's mouth does not f defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles then the disciples came to him and asked, do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? Now, the word uh, offended that we translate in English is translated from a Greek word, escandalish essen, <laughs> a hard word to pronounce. Um, it's a Greek word where we get the word scandal, but what it literally means is this Greek word is to drop a huge stone in a path where someone is walking. So to block their ability to keep walking on the same path. You see, Jesus came to save everyone. He came here for everyone. He wasn't shooting low. He was shooting for the stars. He wanted to save everyone, even the Pharisees. And he knew the best thing he could do for these people that were so entrenched in their rigid thinking was to drop a giant stone right in their path so they'd have to stop, contemplate, think about, process, and then make a decision about the stone that was in their path. He wanted to give them a reason to stop and reflect. And there are people in the body of Christ today who's, they're called and gifted to the church to do exactly this kind of thing. There are people, modern day prophets and teachers that God has gifted to our church to um, sometimes even nip at the heels of the flock and to say things that offend our selfish and wrong-headed instincts. And I'm glad for those people. I am. But here's what I think you should consider. If you, if you, if you must speak about something and you think that thing might be offensive, ask yourself, Danny asked this question last week. I thought it was great. Ask yourself these three questions. Does this need to be said? Does it need to be said right now? Does it need to be said right now by me? And further, I would say, think about your motives, 
for wanting to say this. If, if you know it will offend, is your motive to, to help someone or is it just to exercise your right to free speech? All right. Here's our second proposition. This one's actually a little bit shorter, uh, and, but, uh, but harder to hear. This is laying down our right to be offended. Anger, shame, embarrassment, sadness, disappointment, and hurt. These are all feelings beyond our control to feel or not feel. These are feelings we get in response to the words and actions of others. And what those feelings become, though, is something that is within our control. So when someone walks up to you and says something that's hurtful, that hurts you to the core of your heart, it's not within your control to feel hurt or not feel hurt. Of course, you feel hurt by those words. But what you allow that hurt to then become, that's, your, that's what you're in charge of. Um, what it says in Ephesians here is... Um, in chapter 4, verse 25, is this. It says, Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, and don't give the devil a foothold. That means when we give those wrong thoughts a place, things can fester. You might think of it like this. Think of a garden. You have a garden. Inside of you, you have a garden. And sometimes things grow in this garden, that you didn't necessarily plant there. You might all of a sudden notice that a hurt is beginning to grow in your heart, uh, some embarrassment or some anger. You might not be responsible for the presence of those things, but you are in charge of stewarding this garden. And what you allow that thing to become, that's in your hands. So we were reading from 1 Corinthians. A couple chapters later in uh, chapter 13, Paul writes this to the same group of believers. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. You've probably heard this chapter. This, if you've ever been to a wedding, people read this at weddings all the time. Love does not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. That keeps no record of wrongs there in other translations is, it's, is not easily offended. So if love is not easily offended then that means to be easily offended is the opposite of love. If we're to become love in him, we must all lay down our right to be offended and then never pick it up again. That's a pretty radical proposition when you think about it. I call this, I have a term for this. Of course I do. I'm Chris Matley. I got a term for this. It's called being a post-offense Christian. That's where you decide, I'm not going to get offended anymore because I lay down my right to do so. When we begin to allow God to help us see others the way that he does, we see their value and their beauty and we become free of having to carry the burden of offense. That actually sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Well, many of us have had the experience of reading passages like this or maybe hearing a message like this and examining our own lives and then turning away in defeat thinking, I can't do that. That's, that's really hard. That sounds really really hard. In fact, it sounds impossible. It sounds like a really heavy burden. How can we do that? Well, we can't. That's actually the thing. We can't. This is impossible. This is actually impossible on our own. Here's something that seems to be a contradiction that Jesus said. He said about these kinds of things. He said, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. How can a burden be easy? 
Well, it's easy because you don't carry it by yourself. I think what many of us forget is that this burden comes in a package with the power to help lift it. You know, recently uh, uh, we, my wife and I got our children a Nintendo Switch. It's a little device that you can play video games on, and they were stoked about it, right? And they got it out of the box. But if they got this thing out of the box and they didn't charge it up, if they just pulled it out of the box and they started pushing the buttons and monkeying around with it and the screen stayed blank, they'd say, you know, Dad, it's broken. It's not working. There's nothing, there's nothing happening here. There's no activity, right? But that would be silly, of course. We know we need to charge the thing. It needs power to go along with it. And I think some of us forget that there's power. There's batteries in the box that came along with this package, right? And that, that battery is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when he was leaving the planet, he told his friends, he said, I must go, but I'm going to send a comforter. That was the Holy Spirit. And the reason why the Holy Spirit is comforting is because it brings power with him. You know, you might remember the story of the early believers gathered in a room, and the first time the Holy Spirit fell in their presence and came upon them, they actually looked around and saw tongues of fire over each other's heads. That would be pretty wild, right? What are tongues of fire? Fire is just light. It's focused light. Light is the universal vehicle for energy. Energy can never be destroyed or dissipated. It can only be transformed into something else. Energy is power. The Holy Spirit is power. Power from on high is how the the scriptures describe it. Now, the power is not ours. I want to be clear. It's not ours, friends. It's never ours. You might say it's on loan to us for a time until such a time as we won't need it anymore. So I'm going to finish like this. I I want us to, to ask you, to ask all of us, myself included, to consider making a choice today, right now, as you're listening to this. Make a decision. A choice to no longer allow yourself the privilege of offense. To offend or to be offended. To take that privilege, that right, and lay it down and choose to never pick it up again. To become a post-offense Christian. Now, of course, you might be saying, why set myself up for failure? I, I know that I can't do it. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. But just maybe there's a kind of beauty in this kind of failure. Maybe there's a kind of beauty that can be achieved. If, if we're going to sometimes fail, let's beautifully do it together. Let's do it together. As we reach for something higher than the stars, something impossible that we know we can't do on our own, instead of demanding our rights as citizens of a nation, let's go and lay down our rights as citizens of heaven. After all, how could we better worship the king who washes the dirty feet of sinners like me and like you. We hope this message encouraged you to take the next steps in your relationship with God. The cool thing is that you don't have to do it alone. There are a lot of ways you can get connected here at Hope. Not only do we want you to feel at home at Hope, we'd love to help you find a home. Please check out discoverhope.church and click connect or just email us at info at discoverhope.church. Lastly, We give everything we can away for free and rely 100% on volunteers and donations to support this ministry. If you'd like to give to the Mission of Hope Church, you can select the Give option on our website or text any amount to 831-800-2060. Thanks again for tuning in.